Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have the founder and president of Lakeview Asset Management, Scott Rothbort. Scott has over 35 years of experience in the industry, with stops at Merrill Morgan Stanley. He started Lakeview in 2002. Scott appears frequently to spar on CNBC, Bloomberg TV, radio, and Fox Business Network. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me today. How's sparring on those networks, by the way? You enjoy that, don't you? I do. I do. I, um, um, you know, you've, you've got to keep the guests on their toes, and they like to keep me on my toes, and I, I stand my ground when necessary. So let's start with new beginnings. You expanded your business to Las Vegas. How's life in Vegas, and, and why'd you pick Vegas? Las Vegas is wonderful. Um, uh, my wife and I were looking for a future retirement uh, spot and vacation spot. Uh, but we wanted something in uh, warm, dry weather. Um, and Florida just didn't fit into that. Originally, I was actually looking in Scottsdale, Arizona. As it turns out, during the looking process, our uh, fourth child, Stephen, uh, uh, was admitted to the Harris School at UNLV, which is the hotel and hospitality school there. So he winds up going to Las Vegas, and my wife and I said, well, the weather's the same, except the food's better and the entertainment's better, <laughs> sure and uh, so let's look in the Las Vegas area, and we wound up buying a very nice home in, in Henderson, um, and um, uh, Stephen lived in it while he was at school, and then my wife and I, again, used it as a, as a vacation home for many years, and then finally, we made it our uh, permanent residence, but still keeping our homes back east in New Jersey and in upstate New York uh, by Lake George. There's also new beginnings for your business, but we'll get to those. Let's back up and talk about why you chose this profession. That's a great question. Um, I come from a family, my mother's side of the family are all PhDs, uh, medical uh, MD, PhDs, uh, biochemists, a little bit of a uh, psychologist in there, um, also very artsy people. My father's side of the family is mostly lawyers and some business people. My father, unfortunately, died when I was 15 years old. And uh, I was going to Stuyvesant High School, and I had to make a, a decision as to what I want to do. My mother's side of the family said, well, Scott is going to get his PhD in mathematics. And uh, my father's side of the family said, no, Scott is going into the business world. And I sat down with uh, my older cousin, who happens to be an attorney. And that um, was back in the days, he used to buy the Barron's College Guide, which was about 20 pounds. Uh, and we went through it. And, you know, we picked out some schools, and, and he just turned to me and said, Scott, well, you know, what do you want to do? I said, well, I, I want to go to business school because, frankly, when I go to a mall, I don't see any math stores there, but I see plenty of other stores I can use an accountant or a financier. 
And um, he said, okay. He said, so, you know, where do you want to go? I said, well, I'll go to the Wharton School of Business. We closed the book, and I applied early decision to the Wharton School of Business, and I got in. That's great. But Wharton School of Business, picking financial services, there's got to be some breadcrumbs between the two. So this is 1977, um, and I was always interested in investing, and, you know, through family who invest in the stock market. I used to read the, the New York Times uh, business section, which back then had a very extensive stock listing. And I used to read the New York Times all the time uh, back then. Uh, and uh, so I was familiar with stocks, and uh, you know, I was familiar with some stocks, and I even picked out uh, some stocks with my bar mitzvah money, I remember. And then um, when I was in college, unfortunately, my father's father passed away, left me some money, and I, I invested it. Um, in some stocks, some of which I still own today, believe it or not. Um, one was Philadelphia Electric Company, and I let the, the dividends reinvest and reinvest and reinvest over the years. And finally, I don't know, about, about uh, 15 or so years ago, I sold some of it um, to rebuild the kitchen in our house in New Jersey. Uh, but it was, it was worthwhile. And, 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 and also, um, when, when my wife and I got married, we bought our first house. My wife was a real estate attorney, so it was, you know, she was filling out the, the application. She said, um, well, how much are we putting down? 20%? I said, no, to my wife. I said, Laney, we put down 50%. She looked at me like I was crazy. I said, trust me, we're going to put down 50%. You're going to be much better off for it. And we did. So, um, you know, no math stores. Um, in 1977, it was the Carter years. Things were not very good. Wall Street was dead. Okay? Mm-hmm. It had been dead since the, the, the late 1960s. So I took maybe the safe route. And I decided to go into accounting. And I studied accounting as an undergraduate at Wharton uh, and economics. Uh, and I went to work for Pricewaterhouse for two years. But while I love accounting, and I love the accounting theory, when you go into accounting, you wind up going into auditing. And auditing just wasn't for me. Well, I got a break. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, Wall Street did open up uh, in 1982, 83. So after two years of Pricewaterhouse, I got a job at Morgan Stanley, and the rest, shall we say, is history. How many teachers did you have along the way that influenced you? Well, I had several. I, teachers, mentors, yeah. a, bit, a bit of both. Um, uh, when I was in high school at Stuyvesant, it was always a, you know, a, a math and science-oriented uh, um, school, um, very well-known um, and uh, I had a particular math teacher there who, who, who was a big influence on me. Um, uh, his name was Mr. Ritterman. Um, and um, he just, you know, he, he, he always pushed me to that next level. Um, and it's funny, I, I, I found, I found uh, my high school yearbook. In it, I had folded over in there a whole bunch of um, uh, math quizzes. And I looked at this and I said, my God, I have forgotten so much mathematics <laughs> in the last 40 years. But uh, he was certainly very important. Um, I, I also, believe it or not, had a, a, another teacher who you may know. Um, he was a, a famous writer. Um, and uh, he was also in charge of, of the stage productions of schools. But, but, but he, 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 he had some... Um, uh, he had some uh, public speaking classes and debating classes, and, and I took it. And, and, he, and he went went on to read a book 
went on to write a book by the name of Angela's Ashes. Hmm. And, and he was one of my high school teachers. Mm-hmm. In college, uh, I, in graduate school, I, I had the great opportunity to, to study under some, some, some wonderful minds. I, I, had, I, I love to tell this story, so you'll have to indulge me. Uh, when I was a, a junior, I had to make a decision as to whether or not I took a, a course in finance or I took an advanced economics course. And so I decided n- not to take the, the finance course, and the finance course was taught by a very famous uh, finance professor who was always on CNBC and Bloomberg and, 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 and whatnot. But instead, I, I, I wound up taking um, uh, an economics course. Uh, by the way, his, his name was Jer- uh, Jeremy um, Siegel. And uh, instead, I took this economics course, uh, an advanced economics course, with, with, with this young professor. Uh, the, 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 the term project was that we were supposed to uh, forecast a whole bunch of, um, of economic variables, such as uh, the inflation rate and uh, you know, the, the 10-year U.S. Treasury rate and you know, all these other things that, that nowadays you know, we're, we're always reading about in uh, you know, Bloomberg or the financial press. And um, uh, this was back in the days before you had laptops, before you had the internet. So you had to go to the library, or we had to go to the, um, uh, the Federal Reserve in Philadelphia or New York, and, and really do some, some hard work and, you know, scratch things down on, 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 on pad and paper. And then, um, you know, they, they did have uh, mainframe computers, so we were able to input the stuff in the mainframe computers. And anyway, I, I handed in uh, my forecast, and, and, but, you know, with the forecasts, um, you also had to, um, uh, you know, write something in support of, of why you, you you forecasted these particular numbers, you know, so that you, he knew you just weren't pulling numbers out of the air. And, and we put a lot of time into this, I remember. Handed my forecast, and then about a month or so later, um, the professor uh, uh, compared your forecasts to the actual numbers that came out. And it was maybe a class of about, I don't know, 30 students or something. I did the worst. My forecasts were the absolute worst, okay? Um, and, but he gave me an A on the paper because he said, your, your methods you know, were sound. I just didn't guess right, you know? It's like the guys who were trying to pick the spread Sunday morning before the football games. You know, you, can, you, you try your best, but, um, but you, you, just, you just don't know what happened. Well, as it turns out, this was Professor Schiller who went on to win the Nobel Prize in economics uh, 20, 25 years later. Mm-hmm. What I learned, um, besides the, the, the course material, is that economists are great at explaining the past, but don't know a hill of beans <laughs> about predicting the future. <laughs> and so, so that's what I learned from Robert Schiller, uh, you know, it, and, and, and it greatly influenced me even today when, when, it, when it comes to investing and you're trying to figure out, well, how much is a company going to make? And of course, I apply my accounting skills there and, you know, what, where you think the stock price is going to go, what the P ratios, and, and at the end of the day, th- these are just forecasts. And, 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 and the true answer comes from how does the market react to these forecasts? Now, after a while, um, I've developed, uh, you know, a sixth sense. I call it my gut feeling. So, you know, I, I, I pretty much can, can forecast in different ways the way in which the markets will move 
uh, based upon, uh, you know, based upon uh, economic or or company, uh, you know, financial releases. Um, but that's that's the that's the kind of stuff. Uh, those were my mentors, and there was one other important person, um, um, a fellow who I worked for, um, uh, Greg Van Kipnis, um, and uh, he worked uh, at Morgan Stanley, and then he took me to to NatWest for a few years. <clears throat> and this gentleman worked in, in, in the group that developed the first black box trading model, which now is all over the place uh, on Wall Street. But this was the group that really founded it. A whole bunch of PhDs and uh, uh, a famous uh, hedge fund manager came out of there, D.E. Shaw. Mm -hmm. um, but, but Greg not only greatly influenced me, he's still a mentor and, and, and uh, we talk uh, every occasionally. That's great. Um, you've had your business almost 20 years after what I mentioned stops at Marilyn Morgan. Why, why did you start your own business? Well, uh, just so you know, Morgan came first, then Merrill. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was at Merrill um, uh, on 9-11. After 9-11, I, I had a wife and five kids and two homes and everything else. And I just said, I'm tired. I'm tired of the travel. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of the politics. Um, and I'm tired of working hard for other to benefit other people. I want I want to be able to be more entrepreneurial. And so everybody said to me, and I, and I have a, a good friend, uh, Mitch, who's a, a human resource um, a consultant. And, and we sat down, and we sat down with other consultants, and, and we determined that you know what, if I'm very good at investing for myself and my family. Well, why can't I do it for other people? And and I, I certainly had the skill set, I had the, the the background, and so I, I took that chance. Uh, my father-in-law, who, who's who's a great influence on me, um, also he's um, it's 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 interesting how uh, I met my wife, oh, well, less than six months after my father passed away, and ten years later we got married, but. So my, my father-in-law basically is my second father, and he told me a story about how he was working as a mortgage broker, and one day he came home and he said to my mother-in-law, may she rest in peace, he said, I'm done, we're starting our own company. And sometimes, you know, that's what separates uh, the winners from the losers, the people who take those risks. And I decided at that point in time, you know what, let me take the risk, and I did. How have you adapted to the changes that you've seen in the industry over the years? Oh boy, there's been so many. Um, I, I, I think I think what you have to do is you have to accept them and not fight them. There are too many people who try to fight them. Um, I live I live by the letter of the law, so I don't I don't try to play games. Um, and another thing I actually learned from a gentleman who I worked for at, at, at Merrill Lynch for many years, he said, Scott, let somebody else take the last nickel off the table because they're going to do something stupid to make that last nickel. <laughs> and so I don't worry about that last nickel. Leave it for somebody. I'll take 95 cents. And so, you know, if, if, if there's a rules change, you know, regulation, and it affects the way in which I operate, well, then I modify the way in which I operate. I'm a pretty smart person, all right? You know, in, in, in general, the regulators are not trying to shut anybody down. They're trying to make a, a more fair 
marketplace. So you just adapt. And uh, I, I've had to, over time, you know, uh, change the way in which certain strategies may have been executed, or um, I've had to change perhaps, uh, you know, uh, the strategies themselves. Uh, for instance, uh, for many years, I was well known for my, uh, my investment skills in uh, restaurant and food stocks. And I had a separate restaurant and food portfolio. But things changed during, during the pandemic. And so I closed it down. Uh, whatever food stocks I thought were, were worthwhile, uh, I merged into our growth portfolio. And then about a year or so later, I re-engineered it into a consumer discretionary portfolio, which we launched earlier this year. And so we have some uh, food and restaurant stocks there, but we also have retail companies in there. So uh, that's the way in which I, I, I react to changes. Yeah. How have you chosen to grow your business? Because some, some people just want to be huge and some people want to, you know, do this, but um, I think you've gone about it differently. Well, um, I, I, I grew my business through personal referrals, um, through people who read me on the street.com where I wrote for 10 years and certainly people who have uh, seen or heard me uh, in the media. Um, and I grew, I grew the business quite well um, for close to 20 years. But I, I realized oh, about a year or so ago that I, I, I was running out of bandwidth, that my ability to do what I do on my own has reached its limit. Uh, I also realized that I need to expand the, the, the potential pool of clientele um, beyond just the individual high net worth investor and maybe get into uh, the institutional realm or the, the semi-institutional realm. Uh, and and I, I realized I was spending too much time just, just buried in paperwork. So I worked with a, a, a gentleman by the name of Eric Edson, who's a, who's a business consultant. And um, we shopped around to several firms uh, understanding that I, I that I needed to a uh, have someone who would uh, really look after the regulatory aspects of the business, someone who would help with the documentary aspects of the business, and someone who can help me market uh, and introduce me to clientele that I normally would not be in contact with. And uh, we certainly uh, uh, looked at several firms and uh, benchmark slash Kingswood won the beauty contest, and that's why I'm here talking to you today. What were some of the pieces that were important to you as you looked in making this move? Well, I, I, I pretty much said it before. I mean, what was, what was important is that, that I needed a company that had a, 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 a well-established infrastructure. Yeah. Okay. I think that's very important. Um, uh, I didn't need to join a company that was first getting into the business and there were a few of them that you know wanted to get into the business or were getting into the business but uh, I, I needed a well-established company how has that transition gone from doing that to joining benchmark and uh, well there, 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 there's a there's a few ways of answering that um, the transition <laughs> the transition took a lot of work and 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 uh, you know no, no, another part of, of the process was I realized I needed to hire someone I, I hired at least a consultant uh, 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 
uh, to help with the transition, and I think we're going to bring him on full time. And he's an energy expert. He was an energy analyst, and I think we're, we 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 launched recently an energy portfolio that that he'll then manage when he does come on uh, full time. I, 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 you know, my only knock in the process, and it hasn't been perfect, is that you didn't have. Uh, sort of an, an organized booklet, if you want to call it, or, or you know, document, which said, here's, here's what has to happen as you're merging your business into ours. I would have liked to have had that. Mm-hmm. And I did speak to senior management about it, and, and, and you know, they, 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 they took my, you know, my, my, my comments very seriously, and I think they are going to write something that, so, so when someone comes in the future... They can say, "Here you go. Here's, you know, here, here, look at this document. These are the people you contact for 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 the thing. These are the people you contact for something else. Here's the operations people. You, you know, here's the regulatory people. Um, you know, uh, and and this is what this is what you have to do. This is this is the process by which you know things take place. I don't know if you ever saw the prophet on CNBC, but he always talks about process and procedure and, and people. And yes." And they certainly have the people here, but but that process at least wasn't codified, mm-hmm. and 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 I think they will in the future. And and um, I was certainly was very patient. I think we could have done it faster, but you know what? We still we still hit we still hit our deadlines, and I would say we're probably ninety nine percent transitioned. And now we're ready to take the, you know, the the partnership, if you want to call that, to the next level, which is, hey, let's let's start marketing Scott and, um, you know, building a new website and, uh, you know, trying to, to raise assets and, and leverage off of Scott's uh, experience and intelligence. And um, so that's that's what we're focusing on next. I was going to ask you what made them win the beauty contest, but I think you just answered that question. Yeah. So what does the future hold for, for Lakeview? Uh, well, um, a few things. First of all, uh, I'm, I'm looking to expand our asset under management um, uh, you know, uh, level, and, and I, I think that in the next few years uh, we'll expand that rather rapidly. I've been very good, like I said, at, at uh, building the business by word of mouth, and I've also been uh, very good at building the business um, through my performance. Um, and um, you know how long you can continue to uh, to bear the burden of of uh, building by performance is, is very difficult. Um, but you always you always strive to get the best performance possible. But um, you know you, you need to get fresh money in, and I, I you know I'm pretty good at getting, getting fresh money in. But now I think we need to look at a much larger pool of investors to get that that fresh money in. And I think we're going to expand our assets under management. I can see it doubling by the end of 2022 and then maybe doubling again by the end of, of, of 2024. So that's, that's one thing that, that I'm looking at. And certainly bringing in other talent, um, you know, to, to, to help me, um, you know, manage the money and, and maybe introduce <clears throat> some other strategies potentially. Another thing that, that I'm considering uh, is starting up uh, as an adjunct to the investment management business, uh, a financial planning business. Um, it's just something that, that we're missing. I, I, I do financial planning, uh, but I do it in, in, in kind of a, you know, a one-off, one-on-one with clients, and you know, they'll call me up and I'll help them with you know, a lot of the stuff that typically a financial planner would. But it's, it's, it, you know, it's 
whatever you want to call it, ex parte, if you want to use a legal term. It, it, you know, it, it, there's nothing formal uh, in the process. I want to formalize it. And, and, and um, so I'm looking into uh, the buy versus build aspects of, of, of having a uh, financial planning business. I, I already have the name for the financial planning business, by the way. Don't um, say it. Don't no, say I'm it. not going to say it. Uh, maybe that'll be a discussion for another time or uh, another website you can build for me. But um, uh, and, and I'm certainly, um, uh, my daughter who's getting her MBA now is, she has an open offer if she wants to come in and help to, to, to build that financial planning business and learn other aspects of the business. Um, and I'll say this, I, I think it's very important for me to get a, a woman into the business. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important for me to get a millennial into the business. Okay, I mean, most of my clients tend to be 50 and older. Um, and uh, I want to start getting you know, people while they're young to invest. I, I've, I've instilled that in, in, in my, my children and my students when I was teaching at the university. Uh, all of my kids um, have to pay the investment tax which means that they have to save some money and invest it. Um, even my son, who's still in college, says to me, Daddy, let's put some more money in, into the market, into my account, and, uh, <clears throat> and, and we do that. And um, except for the kid in college, they, they have, they have um, enough money to um, put a nice down payment on the house. Much like Dad did with his with their mother with his fifty percent. Yeah, I can't say they can get to fifty percent, but you know what? They'll 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 have a healthy down payment. You know, Scott, you live a full life. You got two homes. You're in two different cities all the time. Um, you raise racehorses. You you run racehorses and win. Um, and I know you're an incredible collector of memorabilia, which I've seen. So, what's your most prized piece? Well. So the, so the memorabilia collection started in our house um, in Bolton Landing, which overlooks Lake George, New York, and uh, that's where we spend our summers. Um, and then, then, then when we bought the house here in, in, in Las Vegas, um, it, it expanded to there, especially with the Golden Knights um, uh, joining the NHL, and we're, we're Golden Knights season ticket holders, and we're also Raiders season ticket holders. But I, I guess the piece that... that sentimentally has the most value to me. goes back to a story in, in 1998. My oldest son said, Daddy, he said, um, the Yankees are having Beanie Baby Day. And it was, if you remember, Beanie Babies were the hot thing back then. I said, sure. I worked at Merrill Lynch and worked on Wall Street. I made a few calls. Twelve tickets landed on my desk. So my wife and my oldest son and myself, and I don't remember who else sat with us. I, don't, I, I think it was one of my, my son's friends, sat right behind the visitor's dugout, that game. And then my, my sister-in-law and, uh, and uh, I think my daughters and my niece also had, had four tickets. And then I was, I, was, I was coaching Little League at the time, so I gave four tickets to the fellow who, who coached with me, and he took his family. It was about the eighth inning, and uh, our, our two younger sons were at home with uh, my in-laws. <clears throat> and my wife said to me, she said, Scott, this game's real boring. And nothing's happening. I said, do you have any idea what's going on? No, no one's getting on base, no one's doing anything. That was David Wells' perfect game. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
uh, I happened to uh, uh, enjoy photography, and I had my uh, uh, my uh, 35 millimeter camera with zoom lenses and everything else. And I got a picture of uh, the team uh, hoisting uh, David Wells uh, on his shoulders and, and marching off. He, he didn't look at the camera because he was looking towards the first base dugout. But that's all right. I got him carrying off. Then I got I got pictures of the. Um, uh, the scoreboards, the, the the one that had all the zeros going across, and then on the message board, David Wells had just pitched a perfect game. And uh, David Wells, uh, we got David Wells to sign that picture of him, you know, being carried off. And then I, I, I made a big montage with the, the pictures I took, the pictures he signed, uh, a, a ticket from the game, and then they gave out Beanie Baby cards along with the Beanie Babies. Um, so that whole montages framed together and sentimentally that has that has the most value for me um, financially I have things that have mo more value than that and I, I've just acquired a few in the last few years I guess as I've made more money I've decided to spoil myself especially as I turned 60 uh, a few months ago and my father-in-law um, uh, I, 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 one thing I had to fill in my collection I have a lot of Yankee stuff you know Mighty Ford and, and uh, Yogi Berra and Mickey Mantle. So I got a lot of uh, Yankee stuff. I had nothing with Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. So I wound up acquiring, and, I, and I, these days I, I deal with, with uh, you know, a reputable you know, a memorabilia dealer. So um, my father-in-law bought for me um, as the gift for my 60th birthday, um, and you saw this um, uh, in my office, uh, a basketball signed by Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird, the three big stars of, of that era. Yeah. And, and then recently, I just filled in the other part of the collection that, that, that I needed, and that was a Wayne Gretzky signed jersey. And that's now in for framing. That's fantastic. What a perfect way to end the podcast. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. I'm sure we'll do this again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, JC, Jakey Beard, and the Permission to Succeed podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.